In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am sharing the story of my own experiences from my church's high school ministry, discussing how my church responded when a girl and I started liking each other and began trying to develop a relationship, and the many things I learned as a result. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 8 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and this week, I am joined by a very, very special guest, On this episode, my guest is me. You know, it's been a little while since we've just had a conversation with just me and you. So far, we've had some amazing, amazing guests on the podcast to talk with. And the last seven episodes of the series, the first seven episodes, have really, really been awesome. But it's been a while since I've just been able to talk with you directly. So in this episode, that's what I'm going to be doing. And the timing works out pretty well, and here's why. As you probably know by now, this whole podcast series is based off of the chapters of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. And while this book is, in many ways, a recounting of my own personal experiences, the chapter that this week's episode is based off of, chapter 8, is almost entirely me telling a part of my story. And because of that, I felt that maybe the best way to talk about it would be by not having a guest on so that I could use the whole time to talk to you about it myself. So this episode is episode eight, which is a tie-in to chapter eight of my book, which is titled About a Girl. Now, last week's episode, episode seven, was titled Fatal Attraction, and it introduced an idea that we've delved into a little bit in previous episodes, but this was the first time we had a whole episode dedicated to the idea discussing how churches navigate the dynamic of guy-girl relationships, both romantic and platonic. And if you haven't listened to the episode yet, definitely go back and listen to it. It was a great conversation with a friend of mine who grew up alongside me in our childhood church who experienced a lot of adversity to say the least. And much of it centered around the dynamic of how our church treated guy-girl relationships. The chapter of the book that influenced last week's episode, chapter 7, was titled A Failure to Communicate and was all about the culture surrounding guys and girls in my church growing up, specifically in the youth group years, elementary, middle, and high school, and even some college. And to get a better idea of that, definitely go back and listen to episode seven. But going off of last week's episode and chapter in the book, this week's episode is taking those foundational ideas and the world that I painted of how it was growing up and takes it into a personal account of my own experiences battling this guy-girl dynamic for myself. Now, one of the reasons why the story in this chapter is so integral to my overall story of just my life and my spiritual journey is because the events explained in this chapter and what I'll go through in this episode were really the things that ended up leading me down the path to having 
my crumpled papers, right? My ideas, beliefs that I believed so certainly and ended up realizing I needed to reevaluate and unlearn and relearn. This chapter outlines those things that started that ball rolling for me of realizing there were things that I believed about God, about myself, about church that were not healthy and things in my church that weren't healthy that I thought before I didn't question. And naturally, these events were all centered in how my church navigated a mutual interest between myself and another girl in our ministry. And looking back on it, it really makes a lot of sense because in these, this was in high school and the beginning of college. And in those years, middle, high school, college, navigating relationships with the opposite gender play a huge role in your life, whether you want them to or not. And because they so often play such an influential role in your day-to-day decisions, actions, emotions, feelings, direction, it's almost highlighted and made overtly apparent when the already extremely fragile nature of that dynamic is handled poorly or in an unhealthy way and treated with almost less respect than I believe it deserves because of how much it means to the people involved going through it especially young people. And let me tell you, even before writing my book or doing this podcast, the amount of people who I had known personally or had talked to about this topic, the amount of people that had experienced something like this where a crush or a mutual interest or just in general the way that guy and girl relationships were taught to them or navigated when they were involved were treated poorly in some cases extremely poorly and damaging and unhealthy, is astounding to me. And since writing my book, and since doing this podcast, and talking about this problem even further, that number has skyrocketed. And it seems to me that the majority of people who have been hurt by the church, who are having to deal with damaging and unhealthy, toxic spiritual communities, have to some level in some form or fashion, witnessed or experienced the wrongful guidance and navigation of relationships between guys and girls, men and women, members of the opposite gender. And I wrote this chapter sharing my own story and experiences with this, knowing and hoping that it would resonate with the people who have experienced similar things. And it definitely seems like it has. So in this episode of the podcast, I want to recount some of those experiences and dive a little further into that discussion about this series of events that happened that ultimately led me to really questioning many aspects of my church, my faith, my religion, and myself. So this whole thing started in 10th grade. I remember because 10th grade was the first year that I started to do homeschool. And the homeschool group that I was participating in was made up of other homeschooling kids from my church. And in that group happened to be a girl um, that I didn't know too well at the time, but was also a member of our youth ministry. And upon getting to know her more in this homeschool group, I started to have feelings for her and quickly realized that she had feelings for me too. I remember we were texting a lot, nothing wrong or bad or mischievous, just good conversation and getting to know each other better. 
And if you listen to last week's episode, episode seven, there was a story shared by myself and my guest about a situation we were involved in when we were about 12 uh, with a truth or dare game. I'm not going to fill in the whole story here. If you want to hear that, go back and listen to it so you are caught up on the context here. But in essence, her and I were involved in a truth or dare game and I ended up kissing her on the cheek, which is, you know, not the end of the world. It's really not that big of a deal. And the repercussions and shame dealt to us by our church and our leaders as a result of that truth or dare game was severe. And add that to the already rigid and insecure and uncertain atmosphere that had been built around all the guys and girls in our grade, in our age, it really did a number on our confidence and our mindset and view on how we are supposed to navigate guy-girl dynamics. And on top of that, for me personally, I felt like a complete failure. I mean, I was only, I was 12 years old when that happened. And as a result of that, for years, there was this sense that, man, I'm a young teenager, I'm a teenager. I've had very little experience in the world of dealing with a girl that I had feelings for. And out of those very few experiences, one of them ended in complete chaos and shame and repercussion because of me. I'm responsible for that. I failed tremendously in that. And so fast forward, I'd say four years Here was now another girl that I was getting to know better and starting to have feelings for. And not only did I, at 16, have next to zero tools, an idea how to go about it, because we were never giving any training, training wheels, to know how to go about it in a healthy way, which was not just me, but my entire class, all my friends for various levels in the youth ministry, different ages, because the mindset was that... We, we as leaders need to keep these kids as far away from each other as possible when it comes to guys and girls because that reduces the risk of them messing up, making mistakes, and having baggage. Not only that did I not know how to go about it at all, but I also was still carrying the traces and kind of the undercurrent of that shame that I experienced four years prior with to my knowledge at that point, the only experience I had had with a girl that I liked that ended in disaster, which I felt responsible for. So I cannot emphasize it more when I say my aspiration with this new relationship, friendship, interest with this girl was to make sure that I navigated it in the most sincere God-honoring way possible, so as to steer as far clear as possible from making a mistake that would end in more shame and more hurt. Because a side note, at this point too, four years after that truth or dare game, the girl that was involved with it, my guest on last episode, and I were completely estranged. We quote-unquote hated each other because we were driven apart and felt forced to butt heads by the expectation of those around us in the church now. 
And now, of course, my, my dream mindset would be, oh, I hope this works out with this girl. That'd be great. But my thoughts really didn't even go that far because I was stuck at, okay, I know what I'd like to happen, but the best I can hope for is even if we end up not liking each other anymore and that dies out, I just want it to end on good terms and not end up hating each other and being estranged from each other afterwards. I'm kind of going through this chapter in my book next to me as I'm talking to make sure I hit the biggest points. And I wanted to say this in the section where I'm talking about these aspirations that I had going into this, the very last line of the paragraph says, to say the bar was low would be an understatement. And it's both, you know, funny in a sad way and also just sad in a sad way because I was too, I guess, fearful of setting my sights on something bigger and healthier because I just wanted to make sure the bare minimum was covered of no one gets hurt, I don't mess up, we don't get shamed, we don't feel bad, and we don't end up at complete odds. Which, I don't know about you, but I would say is perhaps not the healthiest foundation for a new relationship. (laughs) But that's where it started. And as a result of this adamant desire to make sure things were done godly in a godly way. The very first thing I did was tell my parents. And in that conversation, they asked me what I wanted from it. And I told them the same as I told you here, but it just wanted to be done in a godly way. So we decided that the next best step would be to get the input, insight, guidance of our head pastor, who also doubled as the lead youth minister. And within a few days, we were at lunch together, me and him, to talk about this whole thing. And I don't remember a whole lot about what was said, but I remember that by the end, through all the questions and conversation and advice, whatever, the end through line was, okay, if you really desire to do this godly way, then you and this girl should cut communication and stop talking and texting for two weeks. And the reasoning for doing so was was pretty straightforward. I understood that we were texting a lot. We were texting a lot. We were talking almost every day, texting, you know. So it made sense that we should stop talking for two weeks to, I guess, realign ourselves with God. Make sure God is our priority and nothing's getting between, between that relationship, us with God, because that's the most important thing, and kind of quote-unquote sort ourselves out spiritually to really ground ourselves going forward. And to me, then, that sounded amazing. Yeah, I mean, of course, I didn't want to stop talking, talking to her. We were having a great time getting to know each other, but it felt like, oh, this is being taken seriously. This is the real deal. Like, this is step one in something legitimate, so let's do it. It's kind of like, oh, this could be a real thing and I'm being taken seriously. So as such, here's the, the first serious thing like to do. So I was thrilled. I texted her after I got home that day and said, hey, listen, I got some advice from our head leader. Uh, we're gonna stop texting for two weeks and then we're gonna touch base then and see what's up. And there was also, as a side note, this, this sense of leadership that I was taking pride in. Like I was being the man. I wasn't just some sleuthy little little teenager guy trying to hit on these girls and and being whatever, whatever, and just trying to whatever. I was, no, I liked this girl. 
I got advice about it from a man I, I respected and I was given practical advice of what to do next. And I was leading this girl now into whatever the future was going to hold for this. It was exactly what I felt like I needed to be doing, especially in regards to my predisposition to trying to stay away and make sure the, the faults that I committed before weren't committed again. And it was around this time that naturally some of my friends and church peers began finding out that we had a thing for each other as it happens all the time. And while there was definitely that, you know, all, there's always that kind of anxious excitement because something's going on with your friend group and you're excited to get the juice on it. There was that, of course, everyone wanted to know and get the details and kind of excited about something new going on. And that was coming mostly from the people my age, around my age. Interestingly enough, the people older than me, and by older than me, I mean still teens, you know, people two or three grades ahead of me that are still in high school, maybe you're seniors, maybe just left high school. I remember whenever any of them individually would find out or come to me knowing that I liked this girl and was taking some preliminary steps to kind of embrace it and be open about it. Their reaction was surprising to me because unlike the anxious excitement anticipation of my close peers, I remember on multiple occasions, more than one person separately coming to me with, I would say, concern. And what caught me off guard was that multiple times with multiple people, they would warn me because they had now known and seen that I was being open with my parents about it. I was being open with leaders about it in, you know, in my, in my D groups, in my small groups, in my grade with this head church leader. They warned me about this transparency and that I should be wary of telling more people, especially people that are not my friends, but are like leaders or adults. Because according to them, the more people we told, the more people that knew, the more at risk we were, me and this girl, of being separated, put in different Bible groups, restricted from talking or interacting or texting. And honestly, my first reaction was that I disagreed. I thought it was inaccurate. I, 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 there was a bit of judgment in me because it so happened that a couple of these people who came up to me, I had known, had had bad experiences when it came to not dating. We're not, we're not even in that realm of dating. We're, we're, we're in the preliminary stages of just navigating mutual interest. And I know, I knew that they had had less than satisfactory experiences in that realm. And I kind of wrote them off because I firmly believed that it was just their experience talking. And I was sure that the reasons that their experiences hadn't been great was because somewhere along the line, they hadn't been set to do it in an a purely godly, healthy way. I didn't blame them personally or judge them for it, but in my mind, I was certain that, no, 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 if my intentions are completely godly, I'm open about it, I'm asking for advice, I'm not arrogant or prideful in my approach to doing this independently, but I get help, it'll work out well. But what I didn't quite realize was that it was their experience talking, but that fact alone perhaps should have done more to validate their input than invalidate it. 
I wish I had known that then, but I didn't. So two weeks came and went. Me and this girl didn't text, didn't talk. And naturally it was hard because we went from talking every day and really developing a relationship and a friendship to not talking at all. But it was one of those instances where you feel almost fueled through the hardship because you know you're motivated by the fact that you're doing it for good. So there was that motivation to keep going and it was one of those things where I felt like I was doing something good and growing from it. And every day done was one day closer to that finish line of being, okay, we get there, we've kind of done our our godly reset to put it in some kind of way. and then to be on to the next stage, the next whatever that is, which again was not dating. In the culture of the church I grew up in, dating was not such an easy practicality. You had to be ready for dating. You had to prove to others and be told by others, be granted the right because of your stability in Christ or whatever to date. You had to earn it and it wasn't easy to do so. And rarely, rarely was there ever an instance where someone as young as 16 in our church was able to date. As a matter of fact, the number of people under the age of 18 who were dating in our ministry was pretty much non-existent, which is kind of crazy because in any other context, 16 is the age where dating is acceptable and where you're really learning how to do that. But in my mind, dating was not the next step. That was some off-in-the-distance aspiration, maybe one day. But the next step for me simply meant, oh, being able to talk, maybe being able to have, I know this was discussed at some point, having scheduled phone calls maybe once a week where we could talk on the phone for an hour. To reassert the point, once again, the bar was low. And pretty quickly, those two weeks came and went. And during those two weeks, I had scheduled a meeting with a different team leader who was kind of overseeing this at the end of it. So once those two weeks came and went, I had a phone call with this team leader and I was expecting the outcome to be that, okay, me and this girl can text now, but now there are going to be a few other guidelines, like things that are bigger picture where we can have a phone call once a week because now it's a known thing that we like each other and we're going to foster that and nurture that and kind of guide it in a healthy direction forward to grow. That was what I imagined would be the next thing. What I didn't expect was a pretty short phone call between me and this leader and the outcome being that we should go for another two weeks not texting or talking. I couldn't tell you why. I don't remember the exact reasoning, but whatever it was, I guess it was acceptable enough to make sense for me. I believe at one point it was kind of impressed upon me that while I did really well, this added time was kind of for the girl to have some more time that she needed. Fine, great, that sucks, I was ready to go forward, but hey, no, this is real life, and sometimes people aren't always on the same page as I am at the same time, so two more weeks, let's do it. I definitely didn't like it, but it was what it was. The next two weeks came and went, then another week, and another, and another, and another. I think you get the picture of what I'm getting at. At every interval, every so often, there would be a scheduled meeting with a team leader who would give me some advice, who would sometimes give me some encouragement about what was going on. But the outcome would always be indeterminate. It would always end up being that we need to continue this silence, this not talking for more time. And while for a while, it would be a set amount of time, right? Go two more weeks, go another week, go whatever. As time went on, 
it just started to blur together and the required time we needed to stay apart and not talk became more indefinite and less defined until soon enough, months later, it was just the norm where we just weren't allowed to talk, period, indefinitely. And I had no idea why. Were we doing something wrong? That was a thought that went through my head a lot. Were we failing to meet the expectation here and missing something, not doing something right, or simply just not doing it in the right way? Are we not spiritual enough? Is it just me? Maybe I'm the problem. Is it just her? Maybe she's the problem? Because I knew while on my side, I was having continual talks with different leaders about this. I knew she was also meeting with her leaders and her advisors in her life to get input. So there were all these questions about what was being told to her and what the reasoning might be. And maybe she knew better than I did what the reason was why this was going on for months now that we just couldn't talk. Now, I want to add something else here that I didn't put in my book. During this prolonged period of not talking with this girl, I felt kind of useless not doing anything proactive about it. And given the fact that it was taking up most of my mental capacity anyway, being a teenager that liked a girl and having to go through so much about it, it was always on my mind and I wanted to do something proactive. So I sought to getting advice from people whose insight I valued in our church. Different leaders, different adults, people who were dating, people who were married, etc., 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 to get, just get the tools that I felt like I was so desperately missing because I was not given them at any stage of my life up to this point. So I wanted to attain as much as I could to ensure the best chance at leading her successfully in a relationship. And altogether, I mean, I'm, I'm shaking my head as I say this, because looking back, it's clear the mistake here. But I was a pure-hearted 16-year-old church kid liking somebody and trying to go about it in a godly way. I ended up getting advice from around 20 different people in our church. Now, I'll, I'll rightfully take the L on this one. It, this was on me. So the repercussions of this perhaps were my own doing, even if they're not my fault per se. But what I learned very quickly was that because the idea of liking somebody and dating are not clear-cut black and white in the Bible as guidelines of what to do, every person is going to have a slightly different idea of what the best course of action is and how to go about it. Thus, when I asked 20 people for advice, I got around 20 different answers of what I should be doing. And in the world outside of church, though getting 20 people's advice may end up getting a little convoluted and messy, it could end up being okay where you take the advice you want and leave the advice you don't. That's what advice should be. However, another thing I learned quickly through this is that advice given in a church, particularly in an unhealthy church who views advice in an unhealthy way, is given with the unverbalized expectancy that it will be followed especially when this advice is given from a leader to a person who falls under their leadership. In my case, youth leaders, church leaders, teen leaders giving advice to me. So let's say out of those 20 people I got advice from, 10 were leaders. 
I got 10 different pieces of advice, some which had overlapping elements, some which were completely independently different from each other. Out of all the advice I received, I of course took the bits that I believed were true and most helpful for my experiences in my case and applied them. And the things I didn't agree with or thought I didn't need to do, I didn't. And suddenly I went from somebody earnestly seeking advice to somebody who was being painted as going against advice. I had leaders in this church mad at me and telling other people that I was disobeying them and going against the things that they were telling me to do. Because in this environment, they believed that the advice that I had simply approached them and asked them for was the end-all be-all and needed to be adhered to. I guess sometimes you learn the hard way. Anyway, this prolonged period of not talking or texting continued. And at this point, if it wasn't already months and months ago, it was clear that something was just not right. And I want to add here too, through this whole thing, my parents were very involved. I mean, they were the first people that I told that I had liked this girl and they were and are very involved in my life. So they were side by side with me through this entire experience. And as I slowly began seeing that something was off and asked, started asking questions, they were doing the same. And I remember at one point, probably a little earlier on, my dad spoke with the head minister who I had had lunch with originally, just to try to be on the same page and figure out what was going on. And he told me afterwards that at one point, I'm assuming this came from a place of this leader feeling questioned, which to be fair, he was being questioned, but I think he felt that my dad wanting to talk with him about the way this was being navigated was a question of his judgment, ability, decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So at one point, this leader asked my dad, he said, I'm his leader. Don't you trust me? To which my dad replied to him, well, I'm his father. Don't you trust me? Which touches on a whole different topic of conversation here, but a, a vital element in this entire story in that there is oftentimes in, once again, unhealthy churches, a power struggle between leaders and those in authoritative positions in a church and parents when it comes to youth. And I fully understand the cases where a certain kid in youth group's parents are not present, are not responsible, are not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a leader seeing the need offering help and guidance and encouragement and support to that kid is incredible. And that's one of the, I think, one of the greatest parts of a youth group in a church. But there is and needs to be a very fine line and defined line between offering support and demanding or seizing authority. My parents were fully present, fully capable, fully involved. Yet, even so, for some reason, these church leaders believed that their say in how I directed my life and my decisions needed to be the final say in my life. To the extent that when that came into conflict with what my parents thought was best or healthiest for me, there was a power struggle where the leaders 
somehow felt that their influence was being encroached upon by my dad, my parents, questioning their guidance and advice for me. There is not a single possible scenario where this is permissible, excusable, or okay. Because even if a child's parents are absent, incapable, unhealthy, etc., that authority still falls to them unless they grant it to a person, to a church leader, or any other adult. In the best of cases, this authority is taken on because it is assumed that it is needed. And most of the time, it's with the best of intentions, truly. But authority over a child, a minor, anyone under 18, cannot be seized in any way from their parents. No matter how helpful or needed, I'm putting these in quotes, helpful or needed, they may assume it is. But back to the conversation between my dad and this leader. Clearly, there was a difference of opinion between how the situation with me and this girl was being handled. However, I believe the teen leader's question to my dad and my dad's question to the leader highlighted the exact reason why it was such a convoluted situation and continued to be just as convoluted as we went forward after this conversation. There was trust. My parents, despite clearly understanding and seeing the problems in the way this was being handled, trusted this church and its leaders. And it makes complete sense as they had both been there for over 30 years. It's where they had found God. It's where they had found each other. And many of these leaders they had known for decades. Of course they trusted them. And even if in this whole situation, their trust may have been questioned or wavered, it takes quite a bit for trust to be broken completely. And it simply hadn't gotten to that stage yet. So, while at home, my parents were extremely and intentionally involved in guiding me and helping me learn my own independence to make my own decisions in this whole situation. When it came to church, for the most part, much of the decision-making was still deferred to these leaders, at least for the time being. At this point, it had been months since this girl and I had texted each other, and the overall stigma and uncertainty of the whole thing caused us to really be awkward on each other in person, resulting in us barely ever approaching each other when we saw each other at church events or homeschool groups. We felt eyes on us everywhere, all the time, whether they belonged to church leaders, parents, or our peers. It felt like everyone who knew what was happening was watching with bated breath to see how it would all turn out, if it would end up turning out well for us, or if it would fail miserably. And we weren't wrong. I can recall multiple moments off the top of my head that confirmed our superstitions and left us feeling more judged and even more psyched out than we already were, further promoting our held distance from each other. There seemed to be constant moments at both our church and our homeschool group where us gathering the courage to actually confront and interact with each other other, sometimes even for a fleeting moment, would result in sideways glances, snarky remarks, and in some cases full conversations with peers and adults wanting to tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing, offering some kind of critique, advice, or scrutiny for what they thought we were doing right or wrong. I clearly remember one instance after a homeschool group session where I was attempting to approach this girl to talk to her about something, anything. And when I eventually did, she glanced around nervously before telling me in a hushed voice that the leader that she talked to most regularly had advised her not to talk with me in person because I, quote, was causing her to struggle. And I could just tell by the way she said it and the glances she was giving that she really had no idea what that really meant in terms of our specific situation, but was just reciting to me the lines that had been said to her. And I realized then that I wasn't even talking to this girl. I was talking to her leader. 
But yet, even though I didn't believe that I was causing her to struggle, it stuck with me for a while. Was I causing all this? Was I the bad guy in this situation? Was there something that I was doing or saying or being that was leading her down the wrong path? If there was, I couldn't figure it out. But yet, these were our church leaders, our spiritual mentors who we had learned from for years and whose opinions and guidance we had been learned to trust. Most, if not all of them, had been Christians for years, decades more than we had. Who was I to say that they were wrong? In my gut, I didn't agree with the statement. But in my mind, I didn't have the experience or the wisdom to truly be able to tell myself that it wasn't true. And so increased my doubt, uncertainty, and insecurity. Not only in the situation I was in, but in myself. If I was truly a stumbling block in the road of this girl's spiritual walk, and I was truly so far detached that I couldn't discern it for myself, how is there any way I could authentically trust myself? I remember a time when all of our leaders were at a leader's retreat for the weekend, where they all met to discuss the ministry and to make plans for the next year. And when they got back this particular time, I remember hearing that one of the biggest subjects that was discussed the entire weekend was me and this girl. And I gotta be honest, it was too much pressure for either of us, and we crumpled under it. One of the only saving graces that kept us sane is that we had begun gradually communicating with each other on social media. First, it was just commenting on each other's posts. Then it was commenting on each other's comments. And soon enough, we were having full-blown conversations in the comment sections of posts on Instagram and Facebook. Truly, how sad. (laughs) But we didn't know what to do. It seemed like we were left at a standstill, being told we could not communicate under any circumstances, and then never being told why for months. One reason we were given several times was that we were, quote, the guinea pigs in the situation. And up until this point, the ministry had not had very much experience dealing with two people who liked each other and were trying to go about it in a godly way, which at the time I believed was true. But as time has gone on, I've really questioned because I've known many people in the past who have also had crushes in our youth ministry who apparently made all the wrong choices. But who really knows the full story? Another situation happened at one of our church's annual family camps, where a bunch of the families in our church would go up camping in the mountains for the weekend. Now, this is a unique situation because unlike our church building or homeschool group, we knew that at family camp, there would be less eyes on us. At least, we hoped so. So, a few days before we left for camp, we communicated via the Instagram comments section and decided on a place and time where we would meet in person at camp. Not to do anything weird and nefarious, mind you, but just to talk and catch up. And to be able to do so without the weight and pressure that usually came along with it. A few days later, we met at the basketball court, just as we had planned. And it was great, for about five minutes. Before long, I heard my name being called out from what seemed like a very far way away. I looked around, trying to find where the voice was coming from, and saw one of our church leaders standing a good ways off down near the cabins. He motioned for me to come over to him, so I did. And when I got to him, he only said one thing. He asked me very seriously, Do you think that's a good idea? Now at this point, it didn't really matter what I said, because obviously he was asking that question with a pointed answer, because he believed that what we were doing wasn't a good idea, wasn't okay, wasn't right. And I don't remember exactly what I said in response, but I do know one thing. I didn't go back to the basketball court that day. And if this whole situation wasn't already strenuous enough, what made it all the worse was that during this whole period where we couldn't talk or text, I had to stand by as this girl was allowed to talk with any other guy in our ministry, except for me. They didn't have any regulations because they didn't like each other. 
But because we did and were open about it to get advice and guidance, we were secluded from each other while anybody else was fair game. So week by week, month by month, I had to watch as this girl I was interested in was able to develop growing, deepening friendships with other guys, my friends, and see them get closer while our own relationship was at a complete standstill. Yet we were the ones who potentially wanted to get closer to each other the most. It was a twisted system and a source of constant anxiety and stress for me. Back to the bigger picture, this whole thing continued on for well over a year. And during that time, nothing really changed. There were individual talks between us and our leaders. There were talks among the leaders themselves. And the whole time, there was this promise of what comes next. There was always something that we were working towards, but it was never defined to us, and we never seemed to get any closer to it. If anything, it felt that as time went on, that perspective next thing seemed to get blurrier and blurrier, further and further away. And finally, it got to a point where enough was enough. Of course, like I said, throughout this entire time, we were both very open with our parents about everything going on. And at a point, we all agreed that the church's advice didn't have to be the final say. So the two of us, along with our parents, decided that it would be okay if I asked her on a date. Now remember, I don't mean a real date. I mean an encouragement date. Those group dates that were more like group hangouts, but in pairs. There was no real pressure or weight or stakes to it. But at that point, it was just what we needed and we didn't care what it was. Because the truth was, it would be the first time since admitting we had feelings for each other that we would have the opportunity just to exist around each other and have a good time. And it was a breath of fresh air. That is, until our leaders found out. I remember there was one leader in particular who had gotten word that me and this girl had gone on an encouragement date with each other. She was one of the many people I had originally sought advice from. And us going Going on this encouragement date didn't quite align with the advice she had given me. And I remember not too long after this date had happened, people started approaching me at church and at homeschool, telling me and asking me about the fact that they had heard that me and this girl had crossed boundaries with each other. In one scenario, there were two very close friends of mine whose mother advised them not to hang out with me anymore because she had heard that me and this girl had crossed boundaries. Of course, I had no idea what they were talking about because we had done nothing of the sort. And when you hear the phrase cross boundaries, I'm sure a lot of things come to mind, the least of which being going on an encouragement group date together after discussing it with our parents and deciding it was okay. And I don't blame any of these people for assuming that it meant the worst. But it turned out that this one leader had begun telling people that me and this girl had crossed boundaries and didn't further expand upon what that actually meant. Once my parents found out about this, they reached out to this leader to clarify why they were saying these things. And the leader's response was that they, quote, had good reason because I completely disrespected them. When all I had done was seek advice from them, which they were one of many people I did, and after talking with my parents, ended up not taking it, which is what advice should be. It's guidance freely offered with no forced obligation to adhere to it. But this leader clearly believed that that wasn't the case and that their advice, their authority was the final say in my life. And not long after this, I forget the exact timeline, but once this leader was aware that I was having an open dialogue with my parents about everything going on with me and this girl, I was contacted by them directly via text, where they inquired of me why I was even talking with them about this at all. Clearly said in a way that denoted that they believed I shouldn't be. How far out of line could you get? Now that touches on some topics and themes that are going to be talked about 
in next week's episode about spiritual abuse. So I won't expand much on that here. But I think the point is clear. This was an extremely unhealthy spiritual environment. In many ways, this situation set a turning point for how me and this girl and our parents navigated this whole situation. Because it made it abundantly clear that the way this whole thing was being treated was absolutely wrong and unhealthy. So for the next year or two, the remainder of high school and the beginning of college, our relationship outside of church was navigated in a very different way. Thankfully, we were encouraged by our parents to hang out a lot, which we did, and we were able to become really close friends, which is all we wanted since the beginning. However, the way our relationship continued to be navigated in our church only impeded the development of our friendship. While when we were outside of our church, we were able to talk and hang out with relative ease and very little apprehension, the social anxiety and our own uncertainty while in church continued to promote our distance from each other. It was like we were two wholly different people when we were at church and not. Whenever we were out of the church context and the scrutiny that came along with it, we were comfortable around each other, easygoing, and confident in ourselves and our growing relationship. But every Sunday, Friday, or any other day of the week where we found ourselves in the presence of our church leaders or peers, we reverted right back to our fearful, doubtful, and distant selves. We wouldn't talk to each other unless we were part of a larger group. We would rarely even look in each other's direction if we were by ourselves. If anybody saw us at church and didn't know us personally and didn't know we were friends, they'd assume we hardly knew each other at all. And the reasoning was pretty obvious. It felt like during these few years, we were being pulled aside constantly by leaders, other adults, and on multiple occasions, even our friends and peers who wanted to talk to us about the problems they were having with our relationship. Not our dating relationship as we weren't dating, just our friendship. And what made it all the more tricky was that we were rarely, if ever, talked to together, but always individually. So we were never quite on the same page about what the other person was being told. And by the track record I now knew these people had of telling her things about me that weren't true and weren't complimentary, I remember numerous moments where I would see her talking with a church leader, knowing there was a fair chance that they were talking about our relationship, and having no idea what kind of ideas they were sharing with her about what they thought we were doing right or wrong. At that point, my trust in our church leaders had completely dissipated, and it felt like I was fighting against them. And any moment I wasn't with this girl trying to fight for our relationship, relationship. They were with her, feeding her information, trying to tear it apart. And I was losing ground. In the end, it felt like it didn't even matter how hard I tried. Because if our church didn't want us to have a relationship, they were going to do everything in their power to make sure we didn't. The thing about this whole thing that trumped me since the very beginning was the fact that this girl and I were seen as good kids. We were both strong in our faith, we were considered good role models, and we weren't troublemakers in the slightest. I mean, we were homeschooled by the head pastor's wife for crying out loud. According to the church's standards, on paper, we fit every requirement of being two people who they would want to nurture a relationship between. And I honestly believe that while maybe in the beginning of this whole thing, the obstacles genuinely came from them just trying to figure out what to do and were the result of their fear of us making mistakes. In a weird, twisted way, it was out of love. I believe that but that love was shrouded in fear. But by the end, the reason those problems didn't get solved, the reason why this process continued on for years and only became more convoluted and damaging was because the church and its leaders saw our situation as just too much of a burden. And though we were regarded by them as two highly respected individuals, our situation 
and the awareness that it was generating for those in our church were becoming bumps in the road for our church and its leaders. And so those directly involved in our lives changed their priority from wanting to help us move forward to attempting to squash it out. Because ultimately, their control over our relationship and the situation was being challenged. And maintaining a hold of that control was more important to them than us having a healthy relationship. And eventually, as a result, after every hit and blow, it just wasn't worth it. And we stopped fighting. We had to admit to ourselves that our situation within the confines of our church would not change. And while our friendship was great outside of church, whenever we were there, we resolved to being strangers because it was just easier. Of course, we shouldn't have been so naive as to believe that we could keep up these two separate dynamics in and out of church without our church coming to interfere at some point. And unfortunately, it didn't take very long for them to do so. Interestingly enough, by this point, because of all the damage that had already been done, they didn't really need to do much at all. In the beginning of my freshman year of college, after nearly four years of trying to successfully navigate this relationship in a healthy, God-honoring way, our friendship fell apart because of how much baggage was now attached to it. There was so much miscommunication, confusion, and doubt sewn in the seams of our relationship that we didn't trust those around us, we didn't trust each other, and we hardly even trusted ourselves. And after four years of exhausting efforts, we were never afforded the chance to set the foundations for a healthy and growing relationship. And so it crumbled, and not without its scars. It was a complete falling out. Just as four years prior, one of my only low standard goals was that if the relationship didn't work out, it wouldn't end in complete destruction or estrangement due to my own actions. That is exactly what happened, but not because of my mistakes but because of the measures I took to ensure those mistakes didn't happen. I trusted my church and my leaders with this relationship, with myself, and with the fragility that comes with such a dynamic, in the faith that under their guidance, I would be able to navigate it in a healthy, God-honoring way and ensure the best chance of avoiding unnecessary hurt, wounds, damage, and baggage. And it was solely under that guidance that those hurts, wounds, damage, and baggage were dealt to us. The effects of which I still deal with to this day. At 24, the insecurity and stress that comes as a result of any interaction with the opposite gender has been a constant pain in my side ever since, and is something that I am constantly having to unlearn at 24, I've never been in a dating relationship, which definitely isn't unheard of and isn't the end of the world by any means. But I can make the confident assumption that had I not grown up in the environment that I did and experienced the things that I did when it came to these kind of dynamics, I most likely would have some dating experience. Because the level of confidence and security I would have in myself compared to what I have now would be night and day. Growing up in this environment wrecked my self-esteem when it came to anything having to do with girls. And I am generally a pretty confident person in any other aspect. Even now, six years removed from the damaging circumstances of my childhood church, nearly every interaction I have with a member of the opposite gender, regardless of whether there is any romantic interest at all, is filled with insecurity, doubt, paranoia, and anxiety of the entire situation. I know I'm not alone, and many of my friends can relate to feeling like there are always eyes on you anytime you're near a girl. Feeling as if you're under some kind of intense scrutiny from some unknown and unseen source. 
You know it's not there and it's not true, but yet we are unable to keep it from freezing us in our tracks and not approaching them, not talking to them, not just being normal with them. And it oftentimes feels like a mountain that would take too much of my energy to attempt to climb. So I don't and I avoid it, just like many other people I know who have gone through similar situations do. On multiple occasions throughout the last several years, I have received a call or a text from a parent or a family member of a girl that I know asking to talk or hang out. My very first instinct is that they want to talk about a problem they have about my relationship with that girl. I immediately begin to overthink it, and in many of those cases, I've actually noticed my heartbeat start to get really quick because my nervous system is reacting to it. It's insane knowing that I have done absolutely nothing wrong, but immediately reverting to thinking over every possibility of things that I may have done wrong, and it can be exhausting. Now, the reason I'm sharing all of this is not to gain sympathy, but because... Like I've said multiple times, I know there are so many people who can resonate on a deep level with this. And also to showcase the damage that can be inflicted when churches or spiritual communities in general and their leaders allow fear to be the driving force in their actions, especially when it comes to leading and advising others, and when their ultimate desire for control over their churches, their lives, and the lives of their members becomes their number one priority, to the effect that it compromises the well-being, both spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical, of its members. Churches whose actions and overall direction are guided by a desire for control should not exist, period. Because control is not and never has been what we are called to seek. We are called to seek God. We are called to seek Jesus. We are called to seek love. We are called to seek relationship. And if my church growing up had had these priorities ahead of their desire for control and their deferment to fear, there is not a single ounce of possibility that the situation regarding me and this girl would have gone the direction that it did. And to those out there, I know there are many of you that have experienced similar things, some maybe less bad, some much worse than my own experiences. I just want to say I am so sorry because it sucks and it's not right, and it definitely isn't God. And any person or group who tries to convince you that it is does not deserve to be in a place in your life where they are afforded the influence to tell you such a thing. And I also want to say this. If you are listening and you are under 18, you are more than capable of deciding for yourself what may be healthiest for you. And when it comes to authority, the ultimate final say of what you can and can't do and what is and isn't right lies with your parents, not anybody else. And if you are over 18, that final say rests with you. Don't believe that every decision you make has to be vetted first by a member of your church leadership. You are in complete control of your own life, and you are able to do exactly what you believe is best at any given moment without having to get a yes or a no from your church. That doesn't mean not to get advice if you so choose. Advice is a valuable thing, especially from people who are trustworthy and you believe will lead you in the right direction. But advice should be freely offered with an agreed expectancy between you and that person that you may either take it or leave it and that the final say still rests with you. And the ultimate authority in your life is not any other person, it's God. One of the most common lies that people in church believe is that they can never fully trust themselves. But this could not be further from the truth. If God is in fact our ultimate authority, 
the ultimate driving force of our life, you can fully trust him to guide you in the right direction. That includes the inward inclination of our hearts and our minds. And there needn't be any other third party in that dynamic. Any other person or entity or group should only be there to help you discern what God is telling you and where he is leading you, not contradicting it or pushing their own agenda or desires in front of God's. And before I go, I want to leave you with one last thought. If you only get one thing out of this entire episode, I hope it's this one thing. The next time you wish to seek advice from somebody, please, whatever you do, for the love of God, don't ask 20 people. Guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode. Thank you for listening to my story time this episode. I'm glad that we had uh, a time to just talk, me and you. Guests are awesome, and we have some amazing ones lined up for the coming weeks. I've already recorded a handful of episodes, and they are spectacular, so I'm really excited for that. Before I go, I don't want to forget, I usually, actually I never ask this, but I wanted to let you guys know that if you would be so kind, it would be greatly appreciated and help out a lot if you would rate the podcast and leave a review if you're on iTunes. Um, I don't think, maybe on Spotify you can rate it too. If you can rate it on Spotify, then do that as well. Whatever platform that gives you the option to rate and review, that would uh, go a long way. So please do that if you can, if you feel so inclined. But anyway, that's it for me, guys. I will see you on next week's episode. But until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers Podcast.